Good morning, developers. Today is May 5th, 2023, and I want to welcome you to our first ever Pod Rocket Roundup episode. In these roundups, we'll be giving you snippets of our best episodes from the past two weeks, so you can catch up if you missed an episode or just get a quick rundown in between meetings. We're excited to share it with you, and welcome to this week's roundup. On Monday, we had React Team Core members Joe Savona and Satya Gosenian joining us to talk about React Forget. So forget, the idea is that you can just forget about memoizing code. You can just forget about that in React. So it started off as really auto-memoization, where we thought about, okay, when you write React, the kind of mental model is that you re-render components and their props flow down to children and those children re-render, right? And so conceptually, you're re-rendering the tree conceptually from top to bottom every time there's kind of any change. And then React has a bunch of optimizations within that. And one of the things that the user can do is to add manual memoization. So using Mm react.memo or in in, in the old days, should component update, right? React pure component. So there's variations of this. And then of course, within a component, you can use use memo and use callback. And the idea there is you can figure out, okay, where are my updates actually flowing and which parts are really unaffected? And if you add memoization, that sort of constrains the update to the actual path that matters, right? You have some value that's like flowing from one component down to one particular leaf, and you can just avoid all the other paths along the way. And this works really reliably. You can use dev tools to figure out which components should have some memoization added, go add that, and now you're going to get pretty good update performance. But there is that manual component. You do have to actually pay attention to adding that memoization logic, figuring out like when, as your component of like changes over time, make sure to keep that memoization logic correct. Mm-hmm. So if you have some new property, you have to make sure that you're checking for it or else like maybe, maybe your component won't update, things like that. And so the idea was, okay, memoization is really more of an implementation detail. Like it's not the thing that you shouldn't have to ideally think about that. What we want is for React to just be automatically reactive. When data changes, your UI should just react to that automatically. And again, like initially thought about it as just really getting rid of the need to write use memo or react to memo manually. And over time we realized it's really about the reactivity model that we want developers to think about. I have a value when it changes, all the places that it's used will just automatically update, right? And what that means is, unfortunately, in JavaScript, if you create a new array in every single render, that is a new array, right? Two empty arrays, JavaScript does not consider them equivalent. And so if you do that, React will sort of overreact and say, ah, this is a new array. I must redo my rendering because you've given me a new value. And so the idea is, think about it as an auto-reactivity compiler is to say, okay, let's really understand the semantics of JavaScript and make it so that your components react when they should and not more than they should. And so that's that, that's how we think about it. And of course, the implementation of that is memoization, yes. But conceptually, it really is more about reactivity and reacting only and like as much as, as close as we can get to like exactly when and only when it we need to. We also covered how React server components are the next big paradigm shift of React. I think the next big paradigm shift is happening now, and that is server components. I'm sure there will be a thing after that down the road in a few years, but it, it's we're still right in the middle of a, a big shift right now, and that, that's server components. And I think we've talked about this a lot, and I think depending on your background and how you approach React, server components make sense in different ways. But the basic idea is that server components are React components that can run on the server. So with traditional server-side rendering, you're taking the kind of client-side React code and running it ahead of time on the server. Whereas server components are components that only run on the server. 
and they get to run on the server where you have your right near your data. You can go, you can have async components that go and use regular async await to go and fetch data and then render a bunch of client components. And the idea is that you can do all your data loading on the server and then figure out which client component you need to render and then send just that, that component and its props down to the client and then continue rendering there for interactivity. And this has a lot of analogies. If you're familiar with like a Rails background, for example, you might think about the stuff that you used to do in Rails and then have Rails hand off to React. You can do the Rails piece of it on the server in React and use one framework. There's a bunch of other kind of interesting things that server components enables. You can have components that can run both on the server or the client. An example would be the everyone's favorite blog example of markdown posts, right? Where like if you're just viewing the blog, you might as well just render the markdown to HTML on the server. So you don't have to download that very large, complicated code to convert markdown to HTML to the client. But if you're mm -hmm. editing the blog, well, now you can have an interactive preview and use that same exact component. And that's the kind of thing that you couldn't do when you're mixing technologies, right? Whether it be Rails and React or PHP and React, or even some of the other kind of PA frameworks in JavaScript where you mix, mm -hmm. right, a different set of different code, different types of logic, right, for like, for example, for Astro or something else between like your Astro components and your React components. And when you use server components, it's all just the exact same technology. And so you can have these truly shared components. So I think that is a really big paradigm shift. And still early, there's still a lot of people who are like figuring out how to adopt them. It's still a bit experimental and support across the ecosystem is coming along. Last week, we welcomed Sunil Payan, a former React Core team member, to talk about his most recent project, PartyKit, which is a platform for building real-time collaborative applications. So let's talk about some of the features that PartyKit boasts. The first one is that the platform is deployed on the edge. The simplest way of saying that is edge networks like Cloudflare, and I use Cloudflare to build PartyKit. They've deployed these servers out across the planet in about 270 something cities, 10,000 points of presence. What that means is that somewhere within five to 15 milliseconds of me here right now, or most people, is a Cloudflare endpoint. When you want to build an, a collaborative application, it means that it's going to use points that are closest to you to synchronize these messages, these applications that you build. Simply by nature of using these edge networks, we move on to the next thing, which is that it is as fast as could theoretically be. If I can draw a straight line between Paige and Sunil and use that as a way to synchronize messages, there is nothing that could be faster. It might get faster if Cloudflare's network gets broader. Number two, we let you bring your own code. There are a lot of third-party services that enable collaborative applications. And these are other players in the space with their own strengths. But one of the things that distinguishes PartyKit is that from these others is that you get to write your own code that runs on these machines. It's not a simple messaging system. It's not a database to which you're making queries, even though you should be able to deploy a database onto PartyKit directly. You can think of it as if AWS is a computing platform, simply because they don't really care what code you run, but they take away some operational cost and complexity. You can imagine that PartyKit is the AWS, but for collaborative applications, that you take some code that runs anytime a user connects to a room or a document. PartyKit will handle all the infrastructure underneath that for you. You just need to bring your JavaScript and your WASM and we take care of the rest. I mentioned how it's faster than anything else simply because we are leveraging as well as fast as the laws of physics could manage. <laughs> uh, batteries included, 
because it's such a brand new paradigm of computing the libraries and ecosystem for it aren't 100% there yet they're getting there and there's a great community behind it but padiket says hey you don't have to reinvent all of this from scratch you do not have to invent conflict resolution data types which are a way of building these sorts of application and further it works well with your existing stack hey if you have an application already on a vercel or a netlify or wherever you can keep all of that still running except just put the multiplayer networking part onto padiket but all the synchronizing between users and so on padiket will take care of that for you so that's sort of what i mean by batteries included and i think that's also important if we want adoption in the community we want regular folks to build these applications that's the whole dream with javascript anyway and finally we had josh como on to talk about ai taking our jobs whether using react is a good choice and the future of web development here chris asked him what ai is really going to do to web developers and josh has a fairly optimistic outlook so this next thing we're going to talk about is the end of front end development so it's no secret to everyone like i can't wake up and walk five steps without hearing the word ai or chat GPT or whatever is going to take our jobs. I wanted to just get a quick summary in your words. What does this address about the future of web development? Like, what are your general thoughts about that? Yeah. So the idea with the blog post was I was seeing a lot of the discourse on Twitter. There's a couple different ways that I've seen this. One of them is someone plays with GPT-4, chat GPT, one of these tools, and their takeaway is, my goodness, if things continue to accelerate at this rate, like GPT-4 is so much more impressive than GPT-3. And that was only a couple of months ago. So you extrapolate out and you imagine like in a year or two, this is going to be able to do everything that I can do as a developer. And then I think the other take that I've been seeing, which is like amplifying this, is the people working in AI or who have AI startups who are sharing like, in six months, we won't need developers anymore. The reason I felt compelled to write this blog post is I didn't like how certain everyone was seeming about this because I'm not an AI expert, but I've learned enough just from experimentation and reading about it. And it isn't clear at all to me that that's the way it's going to go. Like certainly the things that it can do are really impressive. But you know, the most common examples we're seeing, there's that joke website where you give ChatGPT a photo of a sketch that you took. And in the photo, there's a button, you click the button, it gives you a joke. You feed that into this magical AI machine and it spits out an HTML document that has the JavaScript wired up to actually generate the joke. But then you look at the code that it produced and it's so different. <laughs> like it's so far removed from the work that we actually do as front end developers. And I think that, you know, it's impressive, but there's so much more to our job than what I have seen the AI do. And it's not always evident that the pattern continues forever. Like certainly it's gotten a lot more impressive. The analogy that I thought of recently that I like for this is like, if you had asked people in 1970, a year after we landed on the moon, how long they thought it would take us to get to Mars, they probably would have said like a few years. You see that they can get to the moon and you assume that getting to Mars is just, you know, look at how far we've come, we can get that further. But you know, scale brings complexities of its own. And the reason I'm skeptical about this is that the AI tools are really good at predicting text. And that's really useful for like short code snippets. But with larger projects, I just I have a hard time believing that it will understand the nuances, given that it doesn't have any way, at least as far as I know, of validating its assumptions. So if it thinks that it works a certain way, um, it doesn't really have any way to, it can't run the code, see the result, and then adapt it. Like You can run through that loop with it, which works well for smaller snippets. I think we're still very far away from the future of a non-developer sits down with a chatbot 
explained that it wants like Uber for cats or whatever startup idea people have. And in a short couple of hours, back in, having a back and forth dialogue, it spits out production ready, secure, accessible, full stack application with the database and everything else. That just to me feels that's the not just going to Mars, but going to another solar system. I don't know how, and I could be wrong. Like the thing that I don't want to be hypocritical, I'm irritated by the confidence people have, and I am not confident in my own assumption here. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we are pretty close to that happening. It's just from everything I've seen so far. Nothing I've seen so far has made me believe that's the future that we are only a couple of years away from. And that's it for today, Friday, May 5th. You can check out the full episodes linked in our show notes below or on our feed. And if you liked what you heard, follow PodRocket for more great web development content. See you at the next roundup. This episode was brought to you by LogRocket. You can try it free today at logrocket.com.